The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day Jesus was standing beside Lake Gennesaret when the crowd pressed in around him to hear God's word. Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. The fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets. Jesus boarded one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon, then asked him to row out a little distance from the shore. Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, row out farther into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Simon replied, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing, but because you say so, I'll drop the nets. So they dropped the nets and their catch was so huge that their nets were splitting. They signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Leave me, Lord, for I am a sinner. Peter and those with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish they caught. James and John, Zebedee's sons, were Simon's partners, and they were amazed too. Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. As soon as they brought the boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. to church. Don't wear disco balls to church. That's what happens. Okay. Okay, one more time. <laughs> no, it's stuck on my clergy collar. Okay. How's that? Testing, testing? Mine is on. Baby. <laughs> Jay's going to preach our sermon for today. Uh, we're all really happy about that. Good morning, friends. My name is Emily McKinley, and I have the great joy of serving as your senior pastor. If you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she, her, and hers, and it is good to worship with you today. Um, As we prepare our hearts and our minds for what God might be saying to us, I invite you to um, join me in prayer. God, we thank you for the gift of community to come together and wonder and do life and live in ways that sometimes are disruptive.
so don't do that. I'm going to take off. I'm just going to, one by one, everyone. Here we go. <laughs> the, 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 the buck stops here, though, okay? Uh, let's, let's get back into an attitude of prayer. Um, we thank you, God, that you show up uh, amidst any technical difficulties. Uh, you are greater than any uh, wires or ones and zeros that might stand between um, one another. And so we invite your spirit into this space. We thank you for the opportunity to be in community with you and with one another. And we ask that you would speak through me uh, because of me and also in spite of me um, so that we might leave this space with something greater than what we came in with. We pray all of this with gratitude and in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, earlier this week, just a few days ago, our director of operations, Stephen Starfus, came into the office a little bit later than usual. I know this because we were all suffering from lack of coffee, which he usually makes. And when he arrived, he told us why. He'd been riding his bike through Golden Gate Park when he saw this woman stop a jogger and ask them something. And the jogger kind of shook their head and resumed running. And so as Stephen is like approaching on his bike, she looks up and shouts, excuse me, excuse me. Now I'm going to pause right here and take a poll. Be honest now. After all, we're in church. How many of you would have stopped? Wow. I'm impressed by you all. Um, well, I'll tell you the truth. Here's what I would have done. I would have shouted, sorry, I have to go to work, <laughs> and pedaled on by. Uh, God is still working on me. Um, but Stephen, no, not Stephen. Stephen was like some of you who raised your hands. He stopped. Uh, the woman explained to him, holding out her iPhone, that she's the only person in her family with an iPhone, and all of her phone's calls keep going directly to voicemail, and would he please help her? <laughs> and Stephen, the saint of Golden Gate Park, spends the next 20 minutes changing her settings and getting things straightened out before hopping back onto his bike and heading to the church office. Friends, not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> Some of them wear helmets. And others wear fishing gear. In our passage for today, we find Jesus getting back into the waters of a lake by a growing crowd, and there is nowhere else for him to go. Now, technically, he could just walk in on, out onto the water, right? That's theoretically possible, but he's not ready for folks to know that about him. And so he's stuck. He looks down the shore. He sees a few fishermen cleaning up their nets after an unsuccessful night and calls out for some help. Excuse me. Excuse me. And I picture them, these fishermen, exhausted irritated that they hadn't caught anything, and just trying to get home. Sorry, man. We're done for today. But one of them. OK. Sorry, folks. wear capes. Some of them wear puffy down jackets. <laughs> so um, one of them, though, you know, Jesus says, excuse me, excuse me. Everyone else is like, no one says anything. Uh, but one of them, Simon, later named Peter, says, sure, what's up? And I imagine the relief that Jesus feels in that moment. He's been having a couple of tough a uh, tough couple of months. It started with 40 days in the wilderness, uh, being pushed to its physical and spiritual limits. And then when Jesus goes home, a little worse for wear, but alive in his spirit, he shares what he's come to realize about himself with his home synagogue, that maybe he's like the Messiah, right? 
which doesn't over, go over very well. Um, it creates so much outreach that the congregation actually runs them out and nearly throws them off the cliff. But that's not the end. In successive order, Jesus is then confronted with a demon-possessed man, a dying mother, and a whole host of other spiritually and mentally afflicted folks that keep trying to out him as the son of God. And he's feeling folk, uh, healing folks as fast as he can. And on one hand, that's really great because people are getting better. Um, but on the other, people keep coming more and more. And there is just so much need. He hasn't just been cornered physically, but emotionally as well. He needs a friendly face, a helping hand, and he finds it in Simon Peter. Now, up until this point, the only people Jesus has encountered are either folks who despise him or want something from him. No one, not one person, has offered a helping hand until now. What Jesus needs isn't to escape the crush of the crowds for a moment. What he needs are people he can count on. Folks are struggling and suffering, and Jesus knows that while the pain they are experiencing can be alleviated through physical healing, it will only be sustained through broader social transformation. So he starts with where he is, with what he has, alongside whoever is willing to do the work. Now, today we have a special guest, Manny Ucatil, who's getting mic'd up right now, uh, who's been working to do just that, to create some kind of social transformation. In 2019, Manny opened Manny's, a civic um, and community hub in the mission. Uh, how many folks do we have out here for the mission? All right, there's your neighbors. <laughs> um, Manny's employs folks that are formerly homeless and formerly incarcerated. He puts a diverse um, roster of events on, including events with activists and leaders, as well as city, state, and national political representatives working toward progressive social change. One of Manny's staple events is a weekly, now I can wear it, where'd it go? A weekly disco trash pickup, which is where I got this wonderful necklace um, in the mission. And that's how we at City Church actually got connected. And I'm proud to say that through our signups, we assembled the largest crowd of volunteers that Manny's has gathered for the disco trash pickup so far. They even ran out of the little like trash picker upper stick. So well done us, right? I had heard about Manny's, but the disco trash pickup was my first experience there. And while I loved the vibrant atmosphere of the cafe, what I was more impressed with actually was the list of long list of local businesses that offered services or goods for anyone who participated in the pickup. And this isn't just because I love free stuff. When I saw this, I knew that Manny had done good work organizing to, and to build relationships with his neighbors in order to compile that list. And so as I prepared for this sermon series about place, how it shapes us, and how we shape it, Manny immediately came to mind. And so he, I extended an invitation for him to join to us today, and he's graciously agreed. And as I understand it, he just sent off the trash picker uppers before hopping into, onto his Vespa um, to come and join us here this morning. So let's all give a welcome to Manny. Come on up. shedded materials here. Thank you so much for joining us. It's so good to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad. How's my mic? Is it all right? Yeah, <laughs> it's much better. So um, it's just me, I guess. Um, so tell us the story of Manny's. Well, I come from a family of small business owners. My mother's family owned a grocery store in Brooklyn. And when my father came to Canada on a boat from Israel, via Afghanistan via Israel, he opened up a restaurant. So it's always been kind of a dream of mine and also runs in my blood to have a, a space to own a small business. 
But it wasn't until the election of 2016 that I realized that there was a need for a physical place for people who wanted to become better citizens, who mm. wanted to get more involved, who wanted to meet their local elected representatives to pick up trash. Uh, and so not seeing a place that hosted daily high-quality programming and gatherings for people who just wanted to do more for their community, I decided to build one. That's so um, wonderful. Um, and so are you from San Francisco? Like, how did you end up? I am yeah. spiritually from San Francisco. <laughs> my heart and my hands are from here, mm. but my body is from Los Angeles. <laughs> so I am, I am constitutionally yeah. so SoCal, but I've been here for 10 years. Okay. My first, uh, actually, I moved here for the first time in the summer of 2010. I was in college on the East Coast, and I received an email saying, don't want to, I want a summer job where you're not behind an, a desk come to San Francisco, and I was a street canvasser, and I had a clipboard, mm. and I was raising money um, at that time for same-sex marriage to go back on the ballot, and that was the summer mm. of 2010, and I instantly fell in love with the city that I call home now, and mm. will never leave. Mm. Well, canvassing will definitely like help you to persevere um, in a lot of things. Oh yeah, it teaches you a lot of grit and determination. Mm. I had a mantra, it was a very short mantra, Teflon. Yes, yes. For and the I'm, people like me that were like, sorry, I have to go to work. <laughs> I, there's, this, there's this training in organizing that you, you take the positive interactions that happen and you hold them. Mm -hmm. And you keep them inside and you, you like nurture them like a, like a warm muffin. <laughs> you just like keep it inside. And those are the things you hold on to. And then anytime there's a negative interaction, someone scoffs at you or ignores you, you think, why am I even here? You let it bounce off of you like mm -hmm. Teflon. Yeah. And so I've tried to... Uh, I've tried to incorporate that in my work now, in the work that I do in our city's politics, in our mm. city's civic life, to try to just hold on to those good interactions, those positive interactions, like serving you coffee after the disco trash pickup and you telling me about this amazing congregation that you have, um, and that warm interaction keeping me through the week. Mm. So thanks for that. Oh, you're welcome. Well, um, I, that is like, that is a good rule of thumb to live by anyway, Teflon. Um, I'm curious though, so your grandparents were small business owners, um, uh, so there's that piece, but there's this other piece of you around like a sense of call to civic engagement um, and, and trying to gather other people um, into that work. So how did that get cultivated within you? Well, one, I do think, I, I, as you know, and you may not know, I'm a religious Jew. I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish household. My father was a, was a pastor, Emily, in his own right. He was a rabbi of an Orthodox synagogue. Okay. Um, and so I grew up in our church um, as the son of a rabbi. And in, in the Jewish faith, uh, civic duty and public service is um, very much a bedrock, right? Mm -hmm. We have this phrase called tikkun olam, which means to repair the world. Uh, and it is every Jew's responsibility to mm. figure out what their tikkun olam must be and to work on it. And so I very much was brought up in that environment. Um, my father was a volunteer rabbi uh, on the mm. weekends because the synagogue didn't, couldn't afford to pay one. Mm. Um, and my sisters both went into their own versions of service. My younger sister went into education. Uh, my older sister became a social worker. And so it was just how I was mm. raised. Mm. Um, I want to be useful. Hmm. I've been th as I was sitting down and, and, and listening to you preach and, and to the music, the word citizen servant came to mind hmm. for me. And that's kind of how I identify myself. Hmm. I want to make the world better. I want to make a difference. Um, I want to leave it better than it was when I got here. Hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Um, 
So in our passage for today, uh, Jesus is at the point where he realizes that he needs help in this work, right? You can't do all that. Fix it all yourself, right? And so he puts himself out there, you know, excuse me, excuse me, <laughs> um, not knowing whether he would find any help. Um, after all, his track record up to this point actually isn't that great. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't just Jesus, actually, in this story. Um, Simon Peter was also feeling the squeeze. Uh, there's a biblical scholar named Don Dominic Crossan who talks about how the commercial fishing industry as an economic project of the Roman Empire um, began to blow up during that time. And so as part of this, any non-Roman fishermen were heavily taxed for fishing in any Roman waters. And so regardless of whether or not you actually caught anything, you had to pay this heavy tax. And on top of this, they weren't allowed to fish until Roman fishing boats had made their way through and basically like emptied out all of the lakes. So even on a day with a decent catch, you weren't guaranteed to make a profit. So, you know, when I think about this scene, I kind of think like, you know, maybe Simon Peter is also feeling pretty defeated, right? He's at the end of a long night with more debt than he started. He has empty nets, nothing to show for his efforts. And so unbeknownst to each of them, Jesus and Simon Peter are meeting in this moment of pretty significant discouragement. The work of civic engagement, as Manny already talked about, um, can be really rewarding, like a warm muffin, um, <laughs> but also incredibly exhausting, um, and sometimes even like pretty demoralizing. And so I'm kind of wondering for you, Manny, um, if there was a time that it sort of felt like in this work of building Manny's and maybe other um, experiences of, of civic engagement um, where you kind of thought maybe like it wasn't worth, worth it to keep doing the work, right? And like what sustained you? Because you're still here, right? So what sustained you through those challenges? I think I would be lying to you if I didn't say that that comes up often. Mm -hmm. um, I sometimes envy work that feels less, where there's a less sense of general responsibility. I'll give you an example. I'm on the board of the SFMTA now, which is our city's public transportation system and also everything that happens on the streets. I was appointed by the mayor about two and a half years ago, and it has both been a huge honor and a great curse. Because now, every time I see a pothole, or a late bus, or I see pavement that's cracked, or dirt on the subway station, on the train tracks, or, um, you know, I see someone getting a ticket or a tow, and I'm like, that is my, re I, I need to fix that. That's my responsibility. And so it's, it's a weight. And so, yeah, sometimes I, um, I wish for a lighter life, where I don't feel quite so responsible. Um, it's how, also how I was raised. Uh, but then, um, I think a little bit, actually a year ago, I received uh, a rare cancer diagnosis. And at first, it was very scary. But then after a series of tests and going to the ER and, and meeting with some doctors, it turned out that my form of this cancer was harmless. For six in a million people that get this cancer, mm. it's harmless. And that, that was one of those lucky people. Um, that, if, that experience really changed me. It altered the way I thought about my time and uh, the value of that time and how not to waste it. Mm. And so when, I, when I'm in those moments where I wish to have a lighter life, where I wish to feel less responsible, where I think, gosh, I could, why don't I choose to do something easier where the, the, bold, the hill that I have to push the boulder mm. isn't quite so tall, I think about the fact that our lives are short. And uh, it is a blessing to try to do all you can while we're here. I think about the value of my health. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, and so it's tough, but life is short, and I want to make a difference, like I mm. said. Mm. Thank you. I, um, at my uh, inst um, uh, ordination, the pastor that I had done my uh, internship with gave me a charge and said, love your people. And sometimes I felt, feel like that's a curse. <laughs> like, oh, it's so hard to love people um, all the time. Uh, but, uh, but then there is this kind of deeper sense of um, life is short. And Yeah, there's this, yeah. Um, uh, I had a bit of a religious schism this fall. I, mm -hmm. I went to a synagogue for Yom Kippur, which is our, our fasting day, our day of repentance. And I was in synagogue and I read a verse that kind of bothered me. And um, I felt like I couldn't talk to God for a while. I pray every morning with tefillin, which is this kind of ancient Jewish leather thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I keep kosher, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a religious Jew still. Um, but for a few months, I really felt like I couldn't, I didn't want to talk to God. I was angry at God. And I called the kind of the, the rabbi of Temple Emmanuel, which is the largest synagogue in San Francisco, Rabbi Singer. And I, was, I felt very conflicted. I felt bad. I was like, Rabbi, I don't want to talk to God right now. I'm really upset. And she said, do you know what the word Yisrael means, which mm. is we are the children of Israel? I said, no, what does it mean? She said, Yisrael means to struggle. And just like you were saying, sometimes you struggle to love everyone. Mm -hmm. The root of the word that is my people is to struggle. And mm. so she said, it is the most Jewish thing. And I think actually probably mm. the most anyone that finds themselves to be of faith or a child of God to have to struggle, to have to ask these questions and say, how can I love everyone? It's hard to love everyone. Yes, yes, it's true. But it shouldn't hard. be easy. <laughs> I receive that. Um, and I'm sure no one here has ever struggled with God before. Um, <laughs> but in case you ever do, be encouraged, right? That it's maybe the most faithful thing to do, to struggle with God. And so you've described yourself a couple times now and early, very early on in our conversation as a modern Orthodox Jew. Um, and you are also unapologetically queer. I love your little manicure there. Yeah, um, it's, she needs a little work right now. <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> Should have gotten um, a touch-up before uh, this interview. <laughs> it's okay, there's some distance. So. Yeah. Um, but, so this is almost a whole other conversation, but we have a good number of folks here at City Church who come from a very observant homes um, that made it really difficult to reconcile their faith and their, with their identity. Um, and so I'm curious you know, if you'd be willing to share a little bit about how you navigated this in your own tradition. Yeah, um, well, like I said, I grew up in a very traditional Orthodox Jewish family and, and community. And so there were, being gay was not an option. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, and I sometimes, I, I also look with envy to people today who might be struggling with their sexuality and at least they have places to go, an internet. I remember mm -hmm. going to the library and going to the encyclopedia and looking up the word gay mm -hmm. and being like, that's me, I, okay, I get it. Mm -hmm. um, so the moment I realized I was gay was also a moment I realized that it was a problem and that I wasn't, that it was dangerous because it meant in my experience, losing my family, losing my community, being kicked out of school. And so I had to keep it secret for a long time. Then at a certain point, I realized that uh, I had options. The options were to kill myself, mm. live in secret, or find a way to combine all these versions of myself. The son of a rabbi, the kid who's changing into different clothes at night and going to gay bars when he was supposed to be writing his college essays, um, and, and all the other versions of me. And I decided, I actually made a conscious choice that 
I was going to find a way to make it all work. I was going to be Manny in all stripes, in all colors, in all, in all ways. Um, and it wasn't easy, um, but the realization came about because I found that I, my Judaism, my faith was immutable. It wasn't something that I could change even if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And similarly, my sexuality was something that I couldn't change and I didn't want to. I loved both of them. I love being a gay man, and I love being a religious Jew, and both of these things provide me community, a salve from the short, brutish life that we have, uh, and also a lot of love. And so I, that journey has not always been easy. I was disowned by my father, and really, for the first time in 11 or 12 years, uh, he's starting to speak to me again. But it's been a long 11 or 12 years, and God has been very helpful on that journey. Um, so it's a longer conversation, I think, but um, I guess what I'll just say as a final note is the, the story I told on Yom Kippur, I think it's a constant conversation. Yeah. You know, it's not, I mean, I have a relationship with God, which is um, a warm muffin, there's also all these things that happen outside of that relationship. You go to a synagogue and you read a verse from the Torah or the Bible and you're like, what is that all about? Yeah. Or, you know, different members of the community say things to you. And so just like all the other aspects of our life, and we're never done learning, and I think I'm never done f fitting these two aspects of myself together, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm proud of both and I love both. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, the world is different than... Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and lump myself in your age category um, than since we were kids. Um, but one of the things that has been really wonderful, too, is that um, not only do we have the Internet, but we have communities that um, can nurture our faith and our identity. And um, Barbara uh, Lyon, our children's ministry um, director, uh, ordered these stickers for our kids um, a couple of years ago. Um, and I want to give you a few. Just Aww, so that way you can thank you. Keep wanting to your it. two best friends. It's, um, I probably, I can't understate what it m would have been like to have mm. held something like this in the place of worship that I grew up in, you know? Mm. So it's come full circle. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it. Um, I saw that you have a Purim party coming up. Three. Um, we have three? three. Three next week. Oh my goodness. We're so very Jewish at Manny's. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Um, We're overachievers. <laughs> and Purim, for fo folks who don't know, um, is a party that sort of celebrates the story of Queen Esther um, and uh, her uh, courage and liberate, uh, to help liberate um, her people. Um, and so you've talked about this before, but like I love how you not only are committed to bringing your whole self to your work, but also how much fun you have doing it. So it's not just a trash pickup, right? It's a disco trash pickup. I love it. Yeah. Um, and you're always like cooking up new ways for folks to get engaged in the city. And so one of the things um, that we talked about uh, before was this idea that you had, which is now launched, Manny's Civic Corps. Yes. Um, and I already committed at least uh, 18 people um, from City Church every month um, to participate in it because I know that. But we were, were actually capped at 18 because Manny said you can't have more than that. We need more people besides people from City Church. Not that I don't right? love the you guys, but you know I want to spread the the civic gospel <laughs> beyond these walls if we, I can. We are we believe in that too. Um, but so tell us about what is Manny Civic? Corps? Oh my God, I got so many ideas, you guys. Um, I've been running Manny's for five years now, and we've done so much. In if you've never been there, it's on the corner of 16 and Valencia, and we've had thousands of events, thousands all themed around politics, civic life, social justice. 
Uh, and I was tired of seeing my neighborhood dirty and full of trash and waiting for other people to pick it up. Uh, and, I th and I thought, you know, it's time. I can organize this. Let's bring people together here every week, and let's, I'm, let's clean up the neighborhood. And so now we have 30 to 50, when you participate, 90 people um, picking up trash every Sunday morning and then coming back and having brunch together and creating community. Uh, and so it's been super powerful, very, very meaningful, and I have a lot more ideas. So uh, one of those ideas is the Manny Civic Corps, which is starting April 1st. So every month, uh, the, on the first Saturday of the month, um, for three or four hours, I'm bringing 100 people. And it's, it's an it's a, you know, embodiment of the many hands make quick work. And we're going to take on a major, a big civic project, something where if only 100 people could come and do something together, a mural could get repainted. Mm. All the graffiti on a commercial cor corridor would get abated. Uh, that freeway underpass that never gets cleaned and the trash never gets picked up all of a sudden becomes sparkling and fresh and clean. And so on April 1st, the Jerry Garcia Amphitheater in McLaren Park, how many of you have been to it? Not very many. But if you come on April 1st, you can be a part of fixing it up. Uh, it's, it's falling into disrepair. And so 100 folks are going to come there uh, and, and fix it. I have a couple other ideas that are about to get started. Can I tell your congregation about it? So I've just raised what I'm calling the Civic Joy Fund. And it's funding five civic projects citywide. One is 10 weekly disco trash pickups in neighborhoods all around San Francisco. A second is to hire muralists to paint utility mm. boxes all over, city, mm. all over the city and turn them into pieces of public art. The third is to take a block of Market Street where there's a majority of uh, vacant storefronts and turn it, turn it into a temporary nine-month theater district mm. where performance organizations are going to be filling these vacant storefronts with music and theater and cabaret. Um, the fourth is to this thing that I would call adopt a block, where an organization or an individual is going to adopt a block of San Francisco that's super blighted and fix it up, fix the storefronts, fix the, the awnings, repaint the murals, pick up the trash, uh, and really take kind of like do a bear hug to a block. <laughs> um, and there's more, but that's, that's kind of, those are the four or five that I'm thinking of right now. And so uh, the, the kind of undercurrent for all this is our city needs us. Yes. Um, we, need, we need help. San Francisco needs help recovering, and so I would like to help um, harness the power of the individual uh, to be a part of this chapter of the city's story. Yeah, oh, I love it. Um, and actually, that's part of City Church's story in a lot of ways, too. So when the church started 25 years ago, um, City Church had a stated commitment to serving the city. Throughout that time, we, kinda, we lived in that um, into that commitment in multiple ways, mostly through internally initiated projects like City Hope, um, the New Begin Fellowship, the Counseling Center, and the Faith and Justice Network. Um, these projects have impacted countless lives um, in a number of ways across San Francisco, throughout the Bay Area, and even further. Um, and we while we celebrate that history, um, we also know that God's vision of wholeness of life for all can really only be made and accomplished through partnerships. Um, Jesus didn't work alone and neither should we. I'm grateful for all of the ways in which God has used this community to um, serve our city and care for it, but I'm even more excited about what's possible when we join our efforts with other folks who have the same goals. So thank you, Manny, for the work that you have done and for the perseverance that you've demonstrated in your efforts. Um, thank you for letting us to be a small part of it and inviting us into that. And also thank you for your willingness to step into a church as an unapologetically proud Jew, and trusting us with your story. That's not a small thing, so we... Well, we have a lot more in common than, than what 
what divides us. So thank you for, bring, for inviting me to come here. And you should all be very proud of yourselves. <laughs> you really, it, it, it seems from an outsider's perspective that you really are living your founder's creed mm. uh, and getting involved in the city. So thank you for doing that and for being upstanding <laughs> citizens and Christians. Mm, thank you. So this is um, the first time in our story um, that Lake uh, Genesaret or the Sea of Galilee is mentioned in Luke's gospel. And one of the things that I think could be easily overlooked is how it's actually it's the first of many key moments um, on this uh, sea that took place. There's um, a miraculous meal where over four to 5,000 people were fed just by a few loaves and fish as folks gathered to hear Jesus teach. Um, it's where Jesus walked on tumultuous waters and calmed a storm. Later, when church leaders are trying to catch him out for fishing in the lake without paying his taxes, Jesus sends Simon Peter to go out into the water and catch a fish. And when he does, he catches this fish, he opens the mouth, and there's a coin in it worth the exact same amount um, that Jesus owes. And of course, it's on these very shores just a few years later when one early morning, Jesus and Peter repair their relationship over a breakfast of grilled fish. If you've lived in the city long enough, you've probably got a few key stories of your own to tell, like Brett Wise, who proposed to Krista at Hellman Hollow, the streets of the Tenderloin, where Mwangi Mukami began the second chapter of his life, and you'll get to hear a little bit more about that in a few weeks. Every clinic, hospital, and health center over which Susan Phillips, who is somewhere in here, labored long hours to help keep San Franciscans protected throughout the pandemic. There's JFK Drive, where all kinds of memories are made, including one morning when a biker stopped to offer tech support to a wandering, hapless iPhone user. And of course, there's 16th and Valencia, where a queer, modern, orthodox Jew brings folks together to love their city better, and where the highest turnout of trash picker-uppers gathered that they've ever seen. <laughs> Jesus didn't go somewhere else, somewhere more special to enact social, enact social transformation and healing. He started with what he had right where he was. That was enough. And that's all that God is inviting us toward today, to create space for you and me and for everyone around us to exercise our gifts, to pursue healing and transformation, to find belonging, offer belonging, and a touch of grace. And maybe in the midst of all of that, a place to be. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for Manny, for the work that you have enacted through him, for the ways in which he heard that he was whole from the very beginning and loved with all of who he is. We thank you for the people that poured into him, that stirred up within him an imagination for civic life that could uh, bring about the kind of world that you so deeply desire. We thank you for his witness to um, his birthright as one who wrestles with God and the ways that that encourages us as we too wrestle with God in our own ways. We pray for our city. We pray for all of the ways in which it is broken and needs to be healed. We give thanks for all of the possibilities that exist within it. And we ask that you invite us into that. And not only that, that we ha would have the courage to step toward that invitation wherever that leads us. We pray with gratitude and in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>